Amen, amen. All right, you can be seated. Well, good morning, Fellowship family. How are we doing? Okay, I know I'm not as cool as Jonathan is, but I need a little more greeting to that. Good morning, Fellowship. How are we? There we go. All right, well, as a church family, not only do we want to gather together and study God's word and worship, we also want to celebrate together. So I've heard we have uh, someone having a 28th birthday. Does anybody else have any birthdays? We have Lois right here, and it's her birthday. Do we have any other birthdays today? No? Okay, well, let's sing to Lois real quick. So, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lois. Happy birthday to you. And Lois and her entire family, they have been a part of stuff here since day one, December in 2012. So, Lois, we're so thankful for you and your family and glad you guys are here. But there's something else that we have to celebrate. Yesterday was our serve experience as a church. And so I got a couple pictures for us. So we had six teams that went out in the community. Four of them went just to different neighbors and different doors, and they would knock and say, hey, can we mow your yard for you? How can we serve you and help you? And uh, then if they let them, they'd mow the yard, and they'd say, hey, can we, how can we be praying for you? And they'd say, hey, and here's, uh, we're from a church up there. We'd love to invite you to be part of our church family. So we've got Matt and Zayden up here on the lift, chopping down some big trees at Andrea and Tim Vincent's house. And uh, then we have um, Sarah LeClaire. And Sarah, you're here this morning, aren't you? Welcome. We're so glad you're here. We have this team here, Sturt's family, Tyndall family, so many others. But we also didn't want just the adults to be serving. So we had opportunities for the kids to serve as well. So right here, the kids made this prayer, uh, missionary prayer request for the Kamiya family. So the Kamiyas are missionaries that were sent out from the High Crest campus to Japan. They are doing Doing well, and we have opportunities to be able to pray for them now. And I've got a few more pictures. So uh, we've got people. We got Ian here mowing. We got Anne and her team tearing up weeds, and we got look at that carrying all this stuff right here. So well done. Thank you for that. And serving in the community—that is one of the normal rhythms that we want to have as a part of the church. Now we're going to a little bit later going to be talking about something called rooted. But within Rooted and within the life of the church, we want to be celebrating like we just did. We want to be serving the community. We want to be in God's word. There's just many different things we want to say we do as Christians and as a part of the church. And so this morning, we're going to be starting a new series. And the series is titled DTR. Now, who knows what a DTR is? Okay, and so there's some people that don't know what DTR is. Okay, so DTR stands for Define the Relationship. Okay, and here's when you would have a DTR. You'd have a DTR if two people feel like we're not on the same page for where this relationship is at. So often it might happen in a dating relationship or um, one of those. So up here, here's some DTRs and changing of relationships within my own life. 
So this was our first date. So I invited um, Paige to come to me to a KU game. You can't say no to that. We had great seats. Then we made our relationship even more official when I proposed to her. And that's a whole other story in itself. But needless to say, she said yes. And then there's another point where we got married and it's official. Now we're in the covenant of marriage. But I remember one in particular time that we had to have one of those DTR conversations. And so uh, it was kind of between this period and this period. So we were um, friends and we were going on different dates and enjoying time together. But I was in Kansas City. She was down in Emporia. But it was my birthday and we were celebrating. And we got together and my family joined us. And uh, we uh, were there and the waiter came over and said, hey, why are you guys here today? And my dad said, well, we're celebrating uh, my son's birthday, and we're here with his girlfriend, Paige. And, and Paige and I looked at each other, and we're like, did we, are we official? Did we talk about this? <laughs> and then my dad was like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, well, they're friends. They're, you know, we're working at figuring it out. <laughs> and so, all right, you go. And so uh, that night, that night, we, uh, after my, my family left, Paige and I were just there, and I was like, so my dad says that we're official and we're dating, and I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? And she said, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, then we became official. So that was a DTR. But in the same way that we need to have DTRs define the relationship in, in relationships that we have, we also want to do that in the context of the church. And I, I know that sometimes DTRs, they can be awkward and everything, but it's important. It's important. And so The reason it's important is because often there lacks a true understanding of the stage or the obligations or the requirements or the expectations or even the benefits of being in a relationship. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to do talk about the topic of old school. So within this series of Define the Relationship, we're going to talk about old school, which means we're going to go to the New Testament, and we're going to say, what, did, what does the New Testament say about the church and about the first church? And we're going to use that as a grid for then, what, what, do, what are we going to call church? And what are we going to call all of us together to be a part of? And I, th- I think there's several reasons why, you know, we want to talk about why it's important to be committed to the local church. And I think often we can have questions like, okay, do we really need to, to formalize this? You know, aren't we just hanging out? Aren't we just having fun? Like, I think this is okay, kind of how it is. But I think it's important for us to really define why are we here and what is the purpose of the local church? So here's uh, a, some Twitter results. So Jonathan at his old church asked this question on Twitter. said, how do you view church membership? Now, here at Fellowship and at Fellowship Highcrest, we don't have membership, but we have partnership. So there are different things that we call you to, to be a part of, to be part of our church family. And we're going to go over that over the course of these weeks. So we wouldn't say, how do you view church membership? We'd say, hey, how do you view church partnership? But in this question, you've got a wide array of answers. You've got, it's necessary believers at 21%, good but not necessary at 35%, an outdated idea, 11%, not necessary, 33%. So you can see that some of the same confusion and our frustrations that we have in our dating relationships and in our interpersonal relationships can be the same with the church. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to see how does God view about this relationship with the church. I'm going to start with one of my, one of my favorite passages in Scripture because it just it fires me up. It gets me really pumped. So if... Uh, on your chairs, you have Bibles, and on those Bibles, there's going to be page numbers. And so if you go to page 588, you're going to find Matthew 16, verse 18. 
And here's what it says. It says, now I say to you that you are Peter. This is Jesus talking to Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So I love how it, first of all, how it says, I will. I will build my church. So it, guess what? Yet again in scripture, things are not dependent on us. It's dependent upon Jesus. He's going to be the one that's going to build the church, but we have the blessing and the opportunity to choose whether or not we're going to be a part of that. So we see that God will build his church, and then we see that in all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So what this tells me is no matter how hopeless or oppressive our situation and circumstances are that God, that we are part of a cause that will not be defeated. So no matter what's going on, if we say, yes, I want to be part of God's plan A to reconcile and redeem and transform creation, if we're part of the church, it cannot fail. So if God was building the church, and even the powers of hell would not overcome it and conquer it, it seems like he's building something that's meant to last for eternity, and that sounds like a big deal. So in addition to that, church is not indicated by a building. It's not indicated by even those that, that wear lanyards, even though those are helpful. It's not indicated by people that wear, you know, fellowship high crest swag and logos and all that kind of stuff. But instead, what it means, the church is indicated by a group of people that have been given, that have given over their lives to Christ and are committed to one another. So we're committed to Christ and we're committed to one another. And this building of the church, it was a big deal. And if he thinks it was a big deal, then I think we should think it's a big deal and a priority as well. Okay, so as we go through this, though, I, there's a reason why church partnership, membership is declining and why people are less and less invested in the life of the church. So why is there internal resistance to being wholly committed to the local church? Why is there internal resistance? And I know there's a lot of answers that could be given to this. I'm going to go over three. I'm just going to go over three. You might have other ones, and that's fine. You and the Holy Spirit can work through those, but I'm going to list three. So the first one is fear of submitting to authority. So I think in America, in our culture, we're taught to have your freedom and to have liberty, and also we've been taught that that power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we're, we're skeptical of, of big institutions, of big government, of all these different things. And to think that we have to submit and give over our rights, give over our time, give over our resources to, to the, the church, the, there's just some resistance to that. The second one is too busy to commit to a local church. So uh, one of my mentors in college said that busy stands for being under Satan's yoke. Now that might be, I think, a little harsh, a little intense, but he was an intense guy. But you know, when you think about being too busy to commit, that's true. We live in a culture where there are just endless options, endless opportunities, so many things that we can be involved in and do. And I, I really think that Satan uses those things to distract us from the most important things. We're going to be doing a lot of good things, but are they really the best things? Are they the things that really God has called us to? And then the final thing is um, <laughs> we focus on what we can get instead of what we can give. So we can have this mindset of, okay, I'm going to show up to church and I better have a good parking spot, and I come in, and, okay, good, there's my donuts. Ooh, the coffee, that looks a little cold. Uh, what's going on here? Or they didn't sing my favorite worship song, or whatever it might be. 
so we can come into, all right, church, what can, you, what can you give me? Versus what we're here for. We're here to submit to Christ, and we're here to submit and to commit to love one another. This isn't, life, unfortunately, I mean, from my human perspective, life is not about me. Life is about God and bringing him glory. And so, again, in this, we're, the church is not meant to focus on what we can get, but what we can give. So those are some of the resistances, and we're going to go through today three factors that we see in the New Testament church that can address these topics and set a foundation for us about what is the church that we can then build forward. So the first factor, uh, so what do we see in the New Testament church about our commitments to the local church? First factor, the unity factor. Okay, so this is what, as the church, not just this campus, but the church in general, this is what we unite around. This is what we must unite around. So the church's very existence unifies around the message of a savior and a Lord, okay? Now, I'm going to say that again. It's around the message of a Savior and a Lord. Now, often I think we can look at the Savior part, and we can say, okay, I recognize that I am, I am sinful. I am broken. I obviously am not perfect and blameless and holy like God. So I realize that, okay, I'm over here, sinful man. I realize that there is a holy, perfect God over here, and I realize that I can't bridge this gap on my own. No matter how many good works I do, no matter what I say, how much I serve, whatever, I can't bridge this gap. So I need saving. So I'm going to trust in Jesus so that he's going to bridge this gap so I can walk from death to life and I can have eternity with him. So I want that get out of hell card. I want to be able to have life. Again, it goes back to what I can get out of this relationship. But then when we look at Jesus being our Lord, we go back to some of these ideas of submission. And we're like, um... I don't know if I want to actually want to give up different things. So let's look at some passages. So page 652 in your Bibles, John 20, verse 31, it says this, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So again, that sounds really good, right? So, so these things are written, John's writing these things so that we can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we can have life by his power. Good news, right? And that is the good news of the gospel. But then there's the second piece of Jesus as Lord in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, on page 695, and it says this. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Christ's sake. The fact that Jesus is not just our Savior and not just our get-out-of-hell card But Lord means we are called to submission, we're called to obedience, and we're called to allegiance. And again, like I talked about, we typically have this negative view of submission because we don't trust those we submit to. But in the case of Jesus, submission to him, it's it's a beautiful thing because we can trust and depend on him no matter what. And and for me, at least, there's a longing to be able to submit to someone that doesn't want anything from me but wants everything for me. Now, ultimately, everything that we do is for God's glory, so it goes to him, but he wants everything for us, and he knows the best thing that we can have is a relationship with him and bringing him glory. In our world, in our individualistic American culture world, we think that, no, the best thing is for me to be successful and happy and everything. Then as I have all this stuff, then I'll be able to help other people, maybe. But God's saying, no, the best thing for you is to have a relationship with me. That is the best thing. And he wants that for us. 
So as we look at this, there's, again, there's a call to unify around this message of Savior and Lord, and this is foundational, and it moves to our second factor, the identity factor. And the identity factor, again, this is very countercultural. It says the life and authority of the local church shape and orient the lives of its members. Okay, we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So let me set the stage in in case you're not sure what's going on at this point. So Jesus has finished his ministry. He's ascended to heaven. He's given the great commission to his disciples. And and then uh, Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit's come down. And now we have the disciples that are starting the first church. So we're jumping into a narrative where we're seeing the beginning of the New Testament church. Okay? And it's powerful. So in verse 36 through 38 on page 655, it says this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so as we're in this passage, we see that as they start the church, the start of the church begins with repent of your sins, believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, and then the next step after that is to be baptized and to be baptized in the local church. And so you're going to hear this at fellowship. You're going to hear constantly this call to to find Jesus, to trust him, to be Lord of your life. And if you have not done that, come talk with myself or one of the other staff here or uh, Ian or JP, and we would love to talk to you about what that looks like to repent and believe. But then the next step after that is to be baptized. And so with that, uh, tonight we're going to actually have a children's baptism pool party. We're going to have eight children be baptized. And then in addition to that, next weekend, so on the third weekend of every month, we have baptism. And so if you're like, yep, I want to be part of the local church. I don't know where to start. Repent, believe, be baptized. That's where it starts. But then from there, we see the church growing and God doing some amazing things. So then in verse 42, it says, All the believers, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I love the language and the picture that we see in this. You see, you see the words all, you see the words together, you see the words fellowship, you see the words worship, you see care, you see joy, you see generosity. Some amazing words in this picture of the, of the first beginning church. And so as we look at this, part of what it means to be a part of a local church is the willingness to do life together. Because we're not made to do life apart, we're made to do life together. And so being a part of a church doesn't mean, all right, I'm coming on Sunday, maybe twice a month, and then I'll maybe come on a Wednesday. I mean, we want to come together like a talk, we want to 
worship. We want to be a part of the apostles' teaching. We want to do the Lord's Supper together, all those pieces. But then we want to have the willingness, willingness to live life together. We want to celebrate together. We want to serve together. We want to pray together. We want to live life together. And what I also love is it says all believers did this. All. Not some. All the believers did this. So what do you think would happen if only some believers had done this? My guess is, is you know how at the end it says, and the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. He added daily. If, if only some were doing this, I think you definitely lose some of the momentum. You lose some of what is happening here. And so my question then is, is how often do we make decisions without thinking about how it's going to affect the local church? So we can decide, okay, should I use my, my gifts and talents for the local church? Should I, should I give to the local church? Should I, should I overbook my schedule and then have to you know, cut back on things of the church? Should I move farther away from the church? Like these, these decisions matter, and they don't just affect each one of us individually. They affect us as a church family and as a whole. And we are, we are a family. We are a family, and our actions do affect each other, either directly or indirectly. And we see in Acts 2 that people's actions were so affected each other so powerfully that their number were added daily and no one had need. Isn't that a great vision for our church? Isn't that a great vision for, for our city and for our community? That's one of the things that I want us to to look at and identify as one of the factors of what it means to be a part of a church. The final factor that we're going to talk about this morning is the responsibility factor. And what I mean by this is Christians are responsible, again, this word, to submit to specific leaders, and those leaders are made responsible for specific sheep. Okay, we're going to look at that first part. Christians are are responsible to submit to specific leaders. So obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So in the church among believers, God's most important rule is through spirit-led godly leaders. So unfortunately, we are in a place where Jesus is not here, like physically, he's not our physical ruler and king yet, but someday he will be our ruler on earth and the king of kings. And But in the meantime, he rules his church through godly men and women. And so submission to church leadership is also, therefore, submission to God. And this command, it's unqualified, obey your leaders and submit to them. So now let's look at the responsibility of church leaders and how these people are responsible for. So we see in First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, on page 740, it says this. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and that witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So it's the right of church leaders to lead in meekness, and humility, and to determine the direction of the church. 
to teach the word, to reprove, to rebuke, exhort, and shepherd the flock of God that's been entrusted to them. And, and again, I, I love the words that are used that describe the New Testament church. And in this passage, I love words like entrusted, watch over, willingly, eager to serve, don't lord it, lord it over people, lead by example. We see that leading in the church equals serving. And when done biblically, submission and servant leadership in the church is a beautiful picture of the gospel and our relationship to God. But when submission is absent and leadership is controlling or for personal gain, then we lose our picture of the gospel and division starts to occur in the body of Christ. So we see that the church is not something that we just join. It's something that we submit to. And so after, after adding this up and looking at these three different factors, we look at the, the unity factor, we look at the identity factor, we look at the responsibility factor, we see that after adding all this up, it's clear in the New Testament that to be a Christian is to belong to a church family. And no one steps across the line of faith, accepts Jesus, and then just wanders around thinking whether or not to join a church. We see in the New Testament church, you, you believe, you repent, you believe, and then you're baptized immediately into a church. And the church is the representation of the kingdom of God. The church, it is broken, and it is messy, because it's filled and it's led by messy and broken people. But it is what God instituted to advance the gospel on earth until he returns. The church, it's not a volunteer organization. It's not a club or it's not even a service provider. And if Christ is your Savior, then he is also your Lord, as we talked about. And if Christ is your King, then the local church is part of the kingdom you are to represent. The church, it's, it's your family that you are to protect and serve with, even at the risk of your life. That's what we see in the New Testament. The church is your family that you serve and protect, even at the risk of your life. The church is a body, which you are a part of, a member of. And so if you're here today and you're saying, how do I be a part of that body? How do I be a part of that church family? Like we've said before, we're called to repent, believe, and be baptized. If you haven't done that yet, come talk with someone. And next week, we would love to come alongside you and help baptize you and walk you through that process. But another thing that we can do, um, and Jonathan's going to be mapping out as we go from here, he's going to really map out, okay, now practically, now that we've seen this biblical framework, what does this look like? But one of the things that we're going to call everybody to be a part of is Rooted. And Rooted is a 10-week experience that's going to help people connect with God. It's going to help people connect with people, and it's going to help people connect with God's purpose for their life. And guys, the reason that we're calling you to repent, believe, be baptized, calling you to root it. The reason we gather together and worship together, again, it's not because we want anything from you, but we want everything for you. We want you to have a relationship with Jesus. We want you to experience that joy, that generosity, that togetherness, that community. We don't want you to be alone because being alone, being isolated, all that, that's what Satan wants you to take you out. We think that when we compare culture to the church, that we have a better vision. We have a better vision of doing life together and being for one another and submitting to Christ and submitting to one another. And through that, we can love God and we can love each other. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to gather together as a church family, as a church body. And we think that you've, you've given people individual gifts that can be used in incredible ways. We saw people through the serve experience using their gifts and talents to serve and be a blessing. Today we see a hospitality team, we see a worship team, we see a children's team, greeters, ushers. I mean, all these different pieces that are needed to be a church body as well as a church family. Help us to just put our identity in the fact that you are our Savior and our Lord. Help us, help us be unified around that. Help us identity just to be shaped and oriented around the local church where, where we do life with one another. Where we know what's going on in each other's lives and we encourage and sharpen and push each other towards Christ. And help us be responsible in the way that we submit to church leadership and in the way that we come alongside and care for one another. Father, we thank you how you have instituted your church to advance the gospel in our time and allow us to be faithful ministers uh, in that. We pray all this in your name. Amen.